You're listening to the Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf Terry, and Luke Romsdorf Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. And on today's episode, we're talking about the 25th book in the series, The Cat Who Brought Down the House. And we have a special guest with us today, a returning guest, in fact, yes. the incomparable Bernie Cardell. Hello, everyone. Welcome, so glad Bernie. to have you back with us. I'm thrilled to be here. You got your coffee, you have your notes, you're ready to go. Coffee, book, notes. What else do you need in life? <laughs> it's true. I mean, nope. tea for me, but you know, that right. otherwise, otherwise ca- caffeine source, book, notes, we're good. Got everything. Now this one, uh, as you said, the 25th book in the series. Yes. Wow. Uh, it can rent a car now. <laughs> <laughs> Without an extra fee. Without an extra fee. But uh, you've also read 25 books. I've exactly. read 25 books. And you've done the podcasts for 24 of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, twenty six of them. Uh, twenty. You know, you're right. Twenty four of them because we've had two. We've had two cooking episodes that we've right. done as, as mm-hmm. sub. Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah. Now this book was first published when two thousand three. Still in the new. We're 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 moving further and further into the new into the new millennium. Um, interesting thing. The back of this book because it is the twenty fifth book in the series. The silver um, book. The silver book. There mm-hmm. is there is a letter to the readers on the back of the book that I would like to read. Please, if I may. Um, <laughs> dear reader. 25 years ago, Jim Quilleran walked into my life, huffing into his large mustache, spelling his name oddly, drinking black coffee at the press club bar. He was tall, but seemed world-weary. His entire earthly possessions fit into two suitcases. He was a down-and-out crime reporter willing to cover any minor beat if it would get him back into newspapering. Then, almost overnight, peculiar circumstances made him the richest man in the northeast central United States. All that money made Quillerin nervous until he remembered the old saying, money is like muck. It doesn't do any good until you spread it around. And he established a foundation to spread it around. Exactly. Now Quillerin lives in a small town 400 miles north of everywhere and writes for a small newspaper. He stands tall and straight. He dates a librarian. His roommates are two abandoned cats that he adopted along the way, one of them quite remarkable. Despite his fame and fortune, Quillerin's popularity really stems from his sense of humor, individuality, and willingness to listen. He has a writer's talent for a sympathetic for sympathetic listening, half compassion, half curiosity, and it draws confidences from men and women, old and young. Quillerin has a secret of his own that he shares with no one, or hardly anyone. His male cat Coco has an uncanny intuition that can tell right from wrong and frequently sniffs out the evildoer. Together, he and Quillerins have solved several cases. The cat who brought down the house is the 25th installment of the Quillerin saga. Shall we try for 26? Lillian. Very nice. Very sweet. It is, but it does interest me that she's dating this from the date of the of the um, of the cat who saw red, which was the first of the uh, book from the eighties, correct? Yes. Yeah. So she's completely ignoring the first three books in the series that she wrote oh, in the sixties. So she's saying twenty five years ago. Yeah, in two thousand three. But it's not twenty five years ago. No, it's <laughs> it's forty years ago. Is she just forgetting, or? <laughs> um, well, now to be f- you know it's it's an interesting question. Um, the uh, the first three books were re were re were reintroduced in the eighties when she had some when she had success with the cat who saw red and the cat who played Brahms. So then people wanted to know about some of the references that had come before, and then mm-hmm. she's like, "Well, I have the other three books." So um, with the help of her publisher and uh, from everything I can read, with the uh, encouragement of her now husband, uh, they republished them. So. I see. Technically, I guess 25 years ago is when the world was reintroduced to Quillerin because mm. the first three books didn't make any kind of a splash. 
Um, there was some commentary about how um, her husband liked to say that it was because uh, the her publishers wanted her to add more sex and violence. Um, my argument remains that if you've read that very first book, it's plenty violent. Is there? <laughs> I mean, the guy is the guy is stabbed to death. It's a grisly murder. It, it's really grisly, um, and especially in those early books, the 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 murders and deaths are really grisly. Compare um, that to this book. Yes, where. <laughs> <laughs> this is, all things considered, a pretty tame mystery. Uh, I, yes, and as a matter of fact. Interesting. Well, it seems like the past couple of books, it's been, not meandering, but it's been heading more into a tame territory compared to what some of the other ones It really have has. Here. They have gotten fluffier and cozier as we've gotten, as we've gone further. Yeah, it makes me wonder if that's a, is that a product of, of age, not, I mean, and not necessarily in a bad way, but... Mm-hmm. As I've gotten as I've gotten older, I don't want I don't want thing to I don't want to watch movies that are as grisly. I don't want mm-hmm. to, I don't want that kind of stuff. So and it's become very clear in the last several books that she really wants to spend time getting to know the people of Moose County mm. uh, and the areas around Moose County because in I do love that part. Yeah, yeah. in a couple of books previously, I, I've had to describe something as the Moose County mismatch um, when. When I if I can if I can write the summary in three pages and then have three equal pages of uh, of the Moose County news. Observation and notes. It's, Moose it's County like, news. Yes, it's the Moose County mismatch. It's a Moose County newsletter. Exactly, <laughs> but it feel, it's starting to feel a little bit like news from Lake Wobegon. Um, <laughs> this came up in our last podcast, yes. right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that these characters kind of felt. Uh, that we know them well enough that it, that it's it's like visiting old friends. Yeah, in, in this you know small ish town. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, they're fleshed out. They're actual living, breathing human beings. And yeah, not just and I do love that part. I mean, yeah, I really yeah. do. And sometimes she integrates it better into the mystery than others. And I feel like this one, I mean, the mystery itself is pretty tame, but everything's integrated. I, um, okay, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's this. This was not one where I had you know I could tell you the mystery but then i and then i would have to do the 16 pages of details right. of what was going sure. on in moose county yeah. to, keep, to get yeah. you up um but well, i guess with that well before we jump in uh to the summary of course spoilers ahead for a book from 2003 uh but <laughs> also were there any opening thoughts that you had bernie before we jump in um opening thoughts i i enjoy i, I thoroughly enjoyed getting Kind of back into the into the the world of pickaxe and the Moose County something and uh, Coco and Yum Yum and uh, yeah no I, no I don't really have any mm, wonderful yeah. nope quite all right I can edit that out <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness all right well let's let's jump right in shall we dear I mean for uh, if I could add a, an opening thought oh please go right ahead one thing that's that's really nice is the last couple of books we've had Quill in, in almost exclusively in Indian Village or out in Black Creek. Or in other places. Now, in this book, he's back at the barn. We're back in the heart of Pickaxe. Mm. And it feels like we're we're back in the mix of things, which I really appreciate. We do spend quite a bit, of, in this book, we do spend quite a bit of time in the barn. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I did feel like I, I, I got a much better picture of what that what that space is like. Exactly. You know. Yeah, there was, there was much more adjustments to uh, to what's going on. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the monitor's in our room, Keegan. Sorry, yes, in, in case anyone hears some crying child in the background, that's just our daughter being <laughs> a 14-month-old. Yep. <laughs> anyway, on with, these, on, on with the summary. Yes, please. So, as this book opens, Thelma Thackeray, a native of Moose County and lately of Hollywood, California, is coming home to die on her native soil. 
Everyone is excited about a movie star coming to pickaxe, but no one can think of any of her movies and, quote, no one remembers a Thackeray in Moose County. Quill thinks this sounds like an April Fool's joke, and as he tells Lois uh, at the luncheonette, just because she lived in Hollywood for 50 years doesn't mean she's a movie star. She could be a bookkeeper. Also, apparently the something pulled a prank on the Lockmaster Ledger the previous year about a retired Triple Crown winner that they spent a week trying to verify. So Quill is very obviously expecting retribution here. (laughs) Yeah, people can live in Hollywood and just, you know, not be in the movies. Precisely. And as he's leaving Lois's, he notices that a moving van is hauling new appliances out of an old building. Turns out that the company who used to rent the old opera house to store televisions and other um, appliances is moving to a real storage barn with a loading dock instead of a makeshift storage in the downtown building, which, as I said back in the day, was the local opera house. Lisa Compton, name we haven't heard for a few books, Mm. remembers her grandmother talking about glamorous events with capes and top hats. On theme, Quill heads back to the barn and listens Mm -hmm. to Carmen with the cats. Um, (laughs) Apparently the sound system in the barn is excellent. And then he wakes up from a dream about the opera house in its heyday, preparing for a production of Tristan and Isolde, uh, wonders if the K-Fund could restore the building and if anyone would attend concerts and lectures in this, quote, age of TV and videos. Okay, we get it, Quill. We'll get off your lawn now. (laughs) Age of TV and videos. Yes, exactly. Oh, you kids with your eight-track tapes. Here's $5. Go see a Star Wars. Yes. I'm going to preface the rest of this by saying there are a lot of quotes uh, I, I use a lot of quotations in this one because there are a couple of problems with this original opening. Um, and, and Tristan is... Tristan and Isolde. Isolde. I, I'm going to just That's okay. butcher that. But that is a real opera. It is a real mm. opera. It's I know it's a, 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 a folklore, folk, folklore story. Yes. I did not know it was an opera, too. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yes. Lots of lots of howling on that one. Um, so anyway, after, after this, Quill does some research with uh, Homer Tibbet and Thornton Haggis, who we learn is uh, be, has been tapped to uh, take over the histor- the local historian position once Homer eventually passes on. But Homer's he's still around. He's Homer what? is 99, apparently, Jeez. in this book. Right. After have... hanging around 98 for about seven or eight books or so. We have a... <laughs> I was going to say, he was a while there. And, well, yes. we have the birthday party in yes, this book. Yes, we do. So oh, my. Yes, he officially he's turns 99. Wonderful. So both of them confirm that Thelma's dad was likely a bootlegger, um, so much for no one remembering the Thackeries. This is point one on that one, who worked with Thornton's dad in the 30s. Um, Thelma has a twin brother who died the previous year after spending his life running a veterinary clinic in Lockmaster. Um, Quill then prepares for a cocktail hour, hour with Polly, Arch, and Mildred, and is showing off his lovely new silver tray because silver has soul, he claims. Which was a lovely gift from the Bombas as a thank you for getting them the job at the Nutcracker Inn, which we, um, which they have a lovely line of the Nutcracker Inn, where the nuts go. <laughs> and considering all the time we spent at the Nutcracker Inn in the last book, I have to say that's very accurate. Well, and they had the nice uh, Charlie's Aunt joke a couple of months ago, too. So. <laughs> exactly. Where the nuts come from? <laughs> it was appropriate because nice. it was a clue about Brazil. Um, so we get some local gossip with this. Um, Elizabeth Hart and her brothers have purchased the Old Stone Mill, which will soon have a new name, the Grist Mill, a new chef from New Jersey, and Derek Cuddlebrink as manager, finally. Oh, good. Uh, all of these are names we haven't seen in a couple of books, so it's mm. nice to have them back. It is. It's nice to know Derek's still you know, doing good in the world. Well, still doing it was good. fun for me because the last book, that I was with you for was the cat who came to breakfast. Mm-hmm. So of course, Derek was in that quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. So. And he, yeah, this is the first time I think in four or five books that he's uh, popped up. Oh, is that right? He yeah, he's, well, it, it's and it's been at least two, but I think he was in the previous one, uh, the but one br- before. But only that, but, briefly. But it's been it's been a bit. Mm-hmm. Not nearly um, as much as breakfast, sadly. Yeah. yeah. 
So they, they have dinner conversation, which includes another name that we haven't heard in a couple of books, because Hixie Rice has been voted to be in charge of the pickaxe sesquicentennial the following year. Sesquicentennial. That's 150 years. 150 years. years. Right. Very good. Um, we will get into some things in the next book about, the, about local, local competitions, because pickaxe is having their sesquicentennial, and Burr is having their 200-year 200 200 celebration. Oh, their bicentennial. So, yes, bicentennial. Thank you. Um, anyway... Um, Polly and Mildred are already worried about this because, of course, it's Hixie. And the last big thing that Hixie did was, of course, the ice festival that got melted out oh, yes. in, the cat who sm- in, in the Cat Who Tailed the Thief. That's right. <laughs> and that was the last we've heard of Hixie for a bit. Um, oh, poor Hixie. I know, I know. Yeah. She's got so much potential. Um, anyway, <laughs> next day, Quill drops by Amanda's design studio. Amanda's not there much because now she's mayor. Um, so uh, it's, it's mostly uh, being run by Fran and their new assistant, who Quill is trying to pump for information about Thelma Thackeray because Fran is, of course, doing her new house on Pleasant Street. And therefore, we meet Lucinda Holmes and their new assistant from Lockmaster, who has a boyfriend named Dr. Watson, who works... (laughs) Who is a veterinarian. Who is a veterinarian who works at what used to be the Thackeray Animal Clinic, which is now called Winnie Hills. Um, and she and this is and this is where we start getting the idea that um, a, there are a lot of rumors circulating that Doctor Thackeray did not die a natural death, mm. and that sends Quill's mustache a tingling. Once Fran is back in town, she comes over for a drink with Yum Yum safely out in the gazebo because Fran has never forgiven Yum Yum for the broken toes. Although I really think she should be blaming the giant metal th- the giant metal gate. Um, that piece down, that, right? that rolled that she rolled over her own feet. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, that's where she broke the toes. But she blames Yum Yum, so ours is not your reason. Ours is not your reason why on that one. And after one of Quill's margaritas, she starts gossiping about Thelma. We learn that she was not in fact in movies, but in the restaurant business, starting with a uh, a snack counter called, of course, the Thackeray Snackery, <laughs> and culminating <laughs> with a fancy restaurant called Thelma's. Ooh. Fran likes her decisiveness, strong personality, and suggests that Quill host a welcome party for Thelma and other residents of Pleasant Street. Um, much like Euphonia Gage, we find that she's a big fan of eating right, breathing, and she's still pushy. Why, um, why the emphasis on breathing? Because that's Euphonia Gage with her telling Quill that she that he needs to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> from way, way, this is from way, way back, like so Cat Who Went Into far the Far callback, yeah. It's Cat Who Went Into the Closet. It's way back there. Um, I'd have to double check that. But anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a long callback. Um, <laughs> and uh, Fran, by the way, is... Not only is Thelma pushy, but Fran is still pushy. Of course. Um, which is why Quill doesn't mention this visit to Polly when they chat later in the evening. And instead, they plan a welcome party and their visit to the Art Center for its touchy-feely exhibit. Quilt's fabric art. Um, because Fran apparently did mention... <laughs> well, maybe touchy-feely, like you can actually touch the quilts in the yes, fabric. Yes, exactly. It's, as opposed to it being like in touch with your like kumbaya. Yes. Yes, this is all in reaction to Mildred apparently going and looking at uh, an art exhibit down in Cincinnati um, and being yelled at for getting too close to look at the, when she looked at the oh, brushwork. Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 um, yes. So she's like, I want art that you can touch. It was great. So art you can touch. So she comes up with this. It's great. Um, and uh, at Polly's suggestion, he figures they'll go and he'll see if he can find uh, some artwork to hang over the fireplace cube because Fran has finally convinced him to move his bookshelves from the fireplace cube to an actual wall or, you know, real bookshelves <laughs> rather than just hanging them. Um, Polly, by the way, and I love this, is cackling over the library library patron's ignorance because they're checking out William Makepeace Thackeray novels in droves, believing they have something to do with Thelma Thackeray. 
<laughs> it's hysterical. Um, so Polly being Polly being a little bit catty. Um, there, um, Quill does find an appropriate hanging. Thornton Haggis comes by to hang it the next day. Um, and despite Quill taking a tape measure to the art show, he apparently didn't realize that the hanging was a vertical design rather than a horizontal that he needed. Um, and he decides just not to tell the artist, which I think is a little rude, but I guess it's fair once you sell a piece. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And then we get into the history of Pleasant Street, which is still filled with those lovely gingerbread trimmed houses. And the story gets a little bit more full here. Apparently... The houses were built by the Campbell family, originally on land they own, and now while the residents own their houses, the Campbell family owns the land. Ah. This leads current descendant uh, Burgess Campbell, born blind, never found without his guide dog Alexander, to have what Quill calls a baronial interest in the welfare of the neighborhood. Baronial interest. Yes. Now, despite that term, Burgess is now referred to as Duke in common parlance, which I never, I, I didn't quite get I don't the connection. It. It's great. Duke, it's, Duke Burgess. He's just called Duke. Duke. Well, um, as in the Duke. In yes. The Duke. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have a theory that she just got tired of typing Burgess. <laughs> Messing it up. Um, and Duke's, Duke's and she made him a four-letter word. Exactly. <laughs> so now Burgess Duke Campbell, who we've met in a few previous books, finally gets some backstory. We know he was a lecturer. He, we know he's a lecturer at Moose County Community mm. College. Um, but we didn't know that he rents out his upper floors to scholarship students who can't get home every night. He hires students to read papers and news to him, to drive him around town as needed. And he never married because apparently the woman he wanted to marry married someone else, although her parents still treat him like a son-in-law. That's a little bit creepy. Um, it's a bit odd. Yes. Um, and he stops by the barn to tell Quill the story, of course, of how Pleasant Street got its name. Um, <laughs> the whole reason that Pleasant Street got built was because people stopped building, needing uh, wooden sailing ships. So we had all of these out-of-work ships carpenters that needed something to do. So the Campbell family hired them to build these houses on Pleasant Street with all of the elaborate gingerbread trim. Um, and they needed a name after all of this, something pleasant. And so they called it Pleasant Street. Um, As it's, it's always fun with those stories. I remember especially, and I was on a walking tour of Boston, but a simple thing, like they called that Beacon Hill. Oh, why is it called that? Well, they would used to hang a beacon on top of it. Yep. And it's like, oh, so totally there's not... makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's not this elaborate story. There's no right? deep story. It's just they needed something pleasant, so we called it Pleasant Street. And I think it was the wife that came up with the yes. name. Like, yes. we'll just call it Pleasant Street. Exactly, <laughs> which was lovely. And there was... A, do you remember the name of the type of construction it was? It was like... Scroll work. Um, it, oh, it's uh, Carpenter Gothic. Carpenter Gothic. Carpenter yeah, Gothic. It was such an, I had never heard yes. that term, so I went and Googled it and looked up, and I was like, oh, the, this... They're yeah. very cool. They are very wow. cool. And, and and the Carpenter Gothic uh, architecture is what has all of that beautiful scroll work that makes it look like gingerbread houses. Yes. Oh, yeah. Some of the... I'm just doing the same thing. I just yeah. did a quick Google search. And oh, it's fascinating. It's beautiful. Either called... Sometimes called also rural Gothic. Mm-hmm. Uh, called stu- what? Uh, rural Gothic. Well, nobody can say that word, so... Yeah, so Carpenter rural. Gothic is... <laughs> it's like Worcestershire sauce. Rural juror. Rural Worcestershire. But no, the, the, this looks beautiful. Yeah, the, the trim and the lace, it's it's gorgeous. We'll put some pictures of yeah, that we'll in the blog. Yeah, we'll put some pictures of the blog. Yeah, it's, cool. it's beautiful. Um, so continuing on, the cats aren't hugely fond of this visit because no matter how well Alexander behaved, is it's still dogs and cats. Um, but Quill's <laughs> feeling like he's getting a full dose of gossip today because apparently Burgess's housekeeper has been going over daily with cookies and lemonade while the team from the design studio is setting up the house so they can see the progress. And Burgess says it's like they'd been there for weeks, which was apparently the whole point. Thelma, had, Thelma engaged Fran 
to do all of the design work while, while in California. And then weeks before Thelma started leaving, um, Fran brought everything back. They, they've moved all the furniture into the house. They've done all, they've done all of the, uh, the updates and the painting and everything else. Mm. And that causes, that causes a couple of issues later in the book, but we'll talk about that later. Ah. Um, so that was the plan. And there is further gossip about the Thackeray family because Burgess mentions taking Alexander to the Thackeray Clinic, which, of course, focused on holistic medicine and how Thurston Thackeray's love of animals made them look forward to vet visits. And then again says that Thurston was a healthy outdoors person who should have lived at least another 10 years, except that he fell to his death while hiking the Black Creek Gorge. Hmm. So, again, nobody thinks that this death was... Natural. It, it wasn't accidental. Yeah. He'd walked that gorge, as, as they'll tell us, he, he's walked that gorge every weekend of his life um, since he moved to Lockmaster. So it's not like he would have, you know, been in a new place and gotten and gotten confused. So something is suspicious. Something, something is suspicious, suspicious, but there were all, but part of the explanation was also that the, that the rocks were wet mm-hmm. and possibly slippery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, no matter how experienced you are, an accident. An accident. Always an accident. An accident, an accident can, can always happen, but it's. But it it's still sounds. Like, it still sounds very. His mustache is still a fluttering. Yes, exactly. Um, so, in more pleasant gossip, uh, Duke then shares that while Quill will be hosting the champagne reception for the adults, two daughters of Mavis Adams, the new lawyer with with Bart nice. over at HBB and B, and A now will host an event for the kids with movies, music, pizza, Sundays, and brownies to take home. And suddenly, Quill is wishing that he's ten, not sixty. <laughs> Sometimes we all want to sit at the kids' table. Uh, you know, no when matter. when you have make your own Sundays and pizza, and you get to take home a brownie. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. There. I'm 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 down for that. I'll be nine years old again. Why not? <laughs> exactly for that. There's a part. There's a party we should do at Vintage. Yes. Do one of the kids shows and then let the adults be kids for a day. Anyway, moving on. Oh, that'd be um, fun, actually. That'd yeah. Be great. So we've got anyway. <laughs> after this, we've got a side jaunt into the world of the colored green. Um, Quill and part uh, we we learn about Quill and Polly's uh, sartorial choices due to the new gristmill's color scheme being jade green. Literally, Polly calls ahead of time to figure out what the color scheme is so that her outfit won't clash. Uh, wow, that's that's awfully <laughs> extra of you, Polly. She's wearing dusty rose. Quill's wearing <laughs> shades of olive. <laughs> and they look fabulous. And they do. They I'm... do. But this. But there is a oh, comment. Wow. There is a comment about them knowing that people are looking at them. Mm-hmm. So they are dressing better these yes. days. <laughs> so it's very they, interesting. Yeah, they they go out and they know that that people will people will take people will take note. Interesting. You know? So oh, they are wow. dressing better. Um, it's exhausting being a socialite. It is, um, and I also have to say that jade green is a really strong color palette to have. But this is the in advantage a of a, in a restaurant. Yeah, this is the advantage of a book. You don't actually have to make it work visually. Um, <laughs> at their dinner, they discuss Mavis Adams' Kit Kat initiative, which we heard about briefly in the previous book. Um, this the initiative is designed to help stop the euthanasia of unwanted kittens. And it's a great idea. And then we also, of course, talk about the arrival of Thelma, whose assistant has already visited the library to obtain library cards for them and to introduce herself to Polly, which is why Polly can tell Quill about the party that walks into the gristmill shortly after they order. It's, of course, Thelma wearing a gray suit and a huge jeweled brooch in the, si- in the shape of a parrot paved with emeralds and diamonds, a la the Cartier parrot brooch- brooches. I will post pictures of these because they were actually very famous. Mm-hmm. Were these, did we see these on the We exhibit? did actually see these at the Cartier familiar. exhibit. Um, but Cartier loved doing birds. Hmm. And okay. I didn't know that. There I'm, are, I'm, I'm familiar with the, with the, the parrots. Yeah, but he, um, but but the Cartier team loved to do jeweled parrots mm. specifically. Um, they liked birds in general, but parrots were really really popular. Um, there was also one really 
hilariously garish uh, flamingo that they did for Wallace Simpson. Um, um, you can obviously tell the woman's taste because she custom made that one. But the parrots are actually very elegant. The the the, the jewelry lay is very is very subtle, um, and you, it's almost done with the detail of like feathers. So it's really beautiful. And this oh. is. Just a simple Google search. Sorry, I was curious. The first thing, if you type in Wallace Simpson Cartier, comes up Panther bracelet. Yes. And this is a wow. This bracelet. Yes, I think I think we saw that one too. We did, and it's it's uh, just to have Bernie take a look at it. But that's the uh, that's the Panther bracelet. That's the Panther yes. bracelet. Oh my! Subtle. This woman was not. No. Wow. Anyway, but um, wow. so the parrots were actually a bit too elegant for her taste. She likes the uh, she liked the garishness of the flamingo. But mm. uh, but if you look up Cartier parrot brooches, and we'll brooches, and we'll post um, then the blog. We'll, we'll post some pictures of this on the blog so you can mm-hmm. see them. So, but basically, it's a huge wad of diamonds and emeralds uh, on her on her on her chest when she walks into dinner um her assistant yes her assistant is dressed simply and a young man who quill describes as a snappy dresser from lockmaster um who we later learn is thurston's son apparently thelma bought uh, bought the old duncan house and that's what she renovated so now polly feels a personal connection to her thurston Um, i can't help but think of Gilligan's Island every time I hear. Yes. Yeah, Thurston. Oh, lovey. Yes. Just, well, and, and, and remember that now we, that they were twins, so we have mm-hmm. Thurston and Thelma. Thurston and Thelma Thackeray. Sounds like we have a lisp. We, it, it, oh, <laughs> most definitely. The buildup for this Thelma, when, when, when Susan was describing it, it feels almost like Tartuffe. Because you, yeah. you, you get... Oh, we talk about it for pages and pages yeah, and pages. Yeah, it's, so pa- it's almost 75 pages before she actually shows up. Yes, and, and then, almost 200 pages before anything happens in this book. Yeah. And, yeah. Then <laughs> such a, and then there's a big splash, so it, it's, a, it's appropriate. Exactly. <laughs> um, so after this, we have another Pleasant Street resident who is revealed. Uh, it's, it's our favorite, Celia Robinson O'Dell. Ah. Um, Pat O'Dell claims that she married him for his kitchen, and which certainly doesn't hurt when you own a catering company. Um, <laughs> Celia stops by with meatloaf for the cats and to check out the situation for the reception, which she is, of course, catering. Um, and then Quill asks her to do some slight snooping on his behalf to find out who might have purchased the old opera house. Oh, good. She's delighted to have more Agent 0013 and a half work to do and plans to get right on it after the reception. I love her. Uh, I, oh, my she gosh. Every time. She is every one time. of my favorites. Just... I think she gets severely underused in this book, and I'm very sad. Oh, absolutely she does. Yeah. Mm, that's a shame to hear. So, yeah. Um, so Thelma is then front page news, including a photo of her and her five parrots out of an original six, um, <laughs> full of celebrity name-dropping sentimental musings on her beloved brother, and then hilariously claims that instead of being a bootlegger, her father got rich by inventing the low-calorie potato chip. <laughs> This is pure That's, self, pure and utter so self delusion. <laughs> this is this is Niles finding out Maris's family fortune is in urinal cakes. Yes, as opposed to yes, it really is. <laughs> what? Um, okay. But interesting thing, because of course I then decided to go look up. You know, can anyone agree on when they invented the low calorie potato chip? And the answer is no one can agree on when the original potato chip was invented. So oh, no, low calorie is equally fascinating. Um, is equally off the books. Um, <laughs> So there's there the, he was a bootlegger, honey. He was a bootlegger. It was just embrace the embrace it, that really, design, really. Right? Um, so the day of the uh, he reception, co-founded Pringles. The ex- <laughs> <laughs> so the day of the reception arrives. We finally meet Thelma Thackeray and Co. With Thelma wearing her fabulous jewels and an art hat, calling Quill Ducky, while her nephew Richard <laughs> tells Quill he knows all about him. Don't tell anyone, says Quill, um, and asks to be called Dick. 
This will be prophetic. Um, Janice, the lady in waiting, is quiet and efficient and pretty much forgettable, at least at this in this early scene, except that she reveals that Thelma does not like cats, which does not bode well. Um, What does bode well is Mavis Adams' Kit Kat initiative and the planned Kit Kat review to raise funds for spay and neuter and adoption fees for local cats. Um, Quill is asked if he can write a skit. Does not mention that he's already been asked to write lyrics for a new song for Derek Cuddlebrink. Um, <laughs> and after the reception, Quill is the last to leave and brings Coco in from the gazebo. Uh-oh. And Coco is upset. Not for any reasons that Quill can determine. And he tells Celia to just give him some cheese. Um, because there is a supper that he's been invited to after this whole crazy thing. Um, not necessarily in the greatest of taste after you've already had a reception, but what you gonna do? Right. Um, it's a red day. It's a red day, clearly. The supper is Southwestern cuisine, as it says on the invitation, but it's really more of a nouvelle cuisine, um, nouvelles of the late 80s, uh, because Thelma is a devotee of James Beard, claiming she has 22 of his cookbooks. <laughs> Me being a nerd, I looked up how many he actually wrote, which was 31. Um, so I'm guessing she didn't collect uh, the... 10 to 11 books on cooking outdoors. So she has all of his other books. Doesn't strike me as a barbecuer. No, not really. Dick, during this thing, is, well, a dick. Um, much in the vein of Kurt, Night- of Kurt Nightingale from The Cat Who Smelled a Rat by oh. constantly bringing up Quill's money and asking him, you know, you should buy this or you should spend money on God, this. And Kirk was a, just an asshat. Kirk was such an ass. He was um, just an awful human being. But on the plus side, Quill manages to score an invitation to meet the parrots and have breakfast and try and satisfy his overwhelming curiosity later. Um, the next morning, morning uh, Coco is in the mood for some Robert Louis Stevenson, but Quill rejects both a child's garden of verses, um, curious case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and settling instead on travels with a donkey. <laughs> Which I'd never heard of. <laughs> Me either. I had to look it up. It's a, it's a semi-fictionalized account of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's travels through the mountains of southern France with a donkey, obviously, um, where he was sent to avoid a scandalous love affair. Oh, there's this, a lot to Robert Louis Stevenson I never knew. Exactly. <laughs> um, but as he's settling in to read this, um, Janice calls frantically and tells Quill that not to come for breakfast. Uh, she won't explain why. And then around 3 a.m., Coco sounds his death howl. Uh-oh. All is not well Uh-oh. here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. In the morning, uh, Quill is listening to WPKX, and the mention of an un- unidentified man found shot to death behind the wheel of a rented van causes Coco to howl again. Mm-mm. And Quill can't understand why he cared about a random person's death. But it doesn't occur to him, apparently, that the death might not be random. By now, I think he should... Yeah, he should know think. this. With we the, know this. We do. We're just <laughs> readers. You live with the cat. Yes, you've been doing this for 25 years. Come on. Um, and also, let's think about the fact that Coco, at this point, is minimum of 25 years old. Yes. <laughs> and still kicking with a death owl. So. And still has a lot of energy, by the way. Yes. Clearly. <laughs> um, Celia, at this point, once again proves useful because she reports hearing a scream in the middle of the night shortly after Fran dropped off Thelma and Co. Mm. Pays to have a spy living next door. And she also, <laughs> because and because she got home earlier than anybody who would have been at the dinner, she spots a delivery van parked at the back of the house while everyone's at the parties. And it was gone by the time everyone came home. Mm. And then she reports that there is no new owner of the Opera House. It's been held in trust and no new permits have been issued. So the same person who owned the Opera House originally still owns it. Um, There is a a van from Bixby's Paint and Decorating out front to do some of the renovations. Apparently everything is cheaper in Bixby County. Everything's legal there too. Yes, it actually, it really is. Um, (laughs) There's gambling. There's there's all these things. Everything is legal in New Bixby. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, And this is one of the first times that we've really talked about Bixby County. 
Um, you know, it's yeah. it's popped up in a couple other books, but mm-hmm. I don't remember it being mentioned. It I, really. I think you maybe like dropped the name, but we, I, yeah, it it, it's mentioned in passion, but this time it's getting very serious that Bixby County is is a thing. Huh. Um, Moose County is New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> it, it totally is. Um, and then Celia reveals that Janice, the uh, lady in waiting, loves cats, although Thelma hates them. And since Thelma is off to Lockmaster for a few days of family time, Quill she suggests that Quill invite Janice to meet Coco and Yum Yum. Hmm. And away from Thelma, Janice is pleasant, very talkative. Um, apparently, Dick invited Thelma back to Moose County when her brother died, and the people of Hollywood hated to see Thelma retire. Um, Janice reveals that Thelma is still is not actually retired. She's working on a new business for Moose County, which Fran confirmed. And that somewhat unwillingly, she explains why they had to cancel breakfast. When they got home, the parrots had been bird-napped. Oh, no. They followed instructions in the ransom note, did not call the police, which is the worst thing that you can do. Um, and the birds were back by dawn, but it was mm. understandably completely and utterly awful. Oh, of course. Um, after Janice leaves, Quill co- quotes a very auspicious saying. Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we start to wonder. Um, mm-hmm. This is very clearly one of the books where she 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 points the finger at, at, at the person doing the bad deed uh, really, really early. It's kind of like in The Cat Who Saw Red. Where, um, yeah, where we knew that we, we knew he was guilty. We knew he was guilty. We just didn't know how. And then yet. there was another eighty pages, seemingly after that, after everything was solved. <laughs> that that got a little. That was yeah. A that weird. got a little bit old. <laughs> um, so with this, um, so after this, um, Quill reaches out to Bushy for gossip on Thelma and the parrot photo shoot, and they agree to meet for lunch. And Quill goes out and picks up a copy of the Bixby Bugle. Okay. This is, after all the drama about the Picayune being the only newspaper in the area, I'm wondering if this is just convenient plot or if there has been a paper in Bixby this whole time and no one in Pictax thought it was any good. And that's the reason it's never been mentioned. Um, It also turns out there's another hypersensitive cat in Bixby named Tony who sniffs out trouble. Not on Coco's level, but still. Tony is the one who alerted his owner to two vans parked outside the owner's home that were moving large square boxes from one van to the other. Once the loaded van started up, the owner heard a gunshot and saw the loaded van take off. Hmm. So with this new information, Quill stops in for another chat with our friend Lucinda Holmes, who mentions that the new owners at the former Thackeray Animal Clinic aren't maintaining the original standards, which is concerning to her boyfriend, Dr. Watson. Um, I still just love the Holmes and Watson. Oh, elementary. Um, she then mentions that Dick Thackeray was the one to report his father's death. Uh, he was the one to report his father missing when he didn't return from his hike. Bushy then gossips that Dick is uh, in, quote unquote, financial management, investments and such. But that Lockmaster jokes that he inherited his father's love of horses, and that's why he spends so much time at the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, those kind of finances. Yes, those kind of finances. That's <laughs> um, Bushy doesn't have much gossip about Thelma, um, but apparently he's very interested in Janice after their little um, their little meet. Oh, Bushy, you so, dog! Indeed. Oh my! And Quill steps in to play matchmaker later. Oh, um, that. that. That I can't wait to see. Oh, this is funny. Um, it's really <laughs> subtle, but um, so and later, Fran Birdie stops by ahead of Quill's breakfast with the parrots to ask him, of all things, to not mention the interior design that she worked so hard on, because apparently Thelma wanted white walls and horror of horror white vinyl flooring. I mean, she does white have white vinyl flooring. She has parrots. Everything is every, so everything, everything is, is white, white. First of all, mm-hmm. and you're covering up the beautiful hardwood floors with a white vinyl floor. Ugh. But again, parrots. Again, I mean, yes. Yes, but they can be they can be cage trained, can't they? <laughs> That's a thing for birds. Cage I don't know. Tra- paper trained, yeah. paper trained, cage trained, yeah. toilet trained. <laughs> 
As, as Bernie mentioned, this is the exact opposite of every other house on Pleasant Street with their natural wood floors and their wallpaper. Mm. And, and then Fran looks at him and says, you know what? You'll probably love Thelma's decorating. <laughs> <laughs> with this in mind, Quill invites Dwight Summers to dinner because he is, of course, handling Thelma's publicity. Sure. Dwight, by the way, has now finally started his own firm in Pickaxe and grown his beard back after being clean shaven for his former firm in Lockmaster. So it's nice. He calls the firm Summers and Beard. Um, at this point after all of this secrecy Dwight just automatically confirms that Thelma is the original owner of the old opera house and she's renovating it into a film club for for classic films Mm. it's like it takes almost no prompting no it's like we've been waiting almost 100 pages to find out what's going on and And then it's just like oh here's the information here we are (laughs) sure it's kind of a letdown how convenient then finally, it's time for waffles with Thelma, Janice, and the parrots. Oh. Quill makes an odd comment about these being the best waffles he's ever eaten with his previous experience being at a diner in New Jersey. Um, and I have to wonder if they were so bad that he never wanted to eat them again. But it's like, in 60 years, you didn't have... Waffles. Waffles. <laughs> ever. Ever since then? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Waffles are delicious. Waffles yeah. are delicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as predicted, Quill loves Isn't Thelma's it? house with the white walls and floor accented with items in art and parrot colors. During breakfast, the two ladies frequently mention a Mr. Simmons who has a crush on Thelma and taught both women to use a handgun before they moved to Moose County. Um, And since most topics are off limits, um, he instead asks Thelma about her brother and movies. Gets a nice story of how Thelma came to own the uh, the opera house because Pop, quote unquote, uh, gifted it to her and her brother when uh, it was uh, when he bought it and revamped it as uh, the Pickaxe Movie Palace. And it was a birthday present because they wanted to see movies instead of having to drive all the way to Lockmaster to do them. And she claims that seeing the gay divorcee with uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers is what inspired her to go to Hollywood. She did try to be in movies and found that she was much better off in in the restaurant business. Um, Her previous visit to Lockmaster was spent seeing her brother's grave, walking the gorge where he fell. And then Thelma takes Quill into the aviary. She has revamped the classic back parlor into a giant open cage space for the birds. Mm. So they have a nice chat about them before Quill invites her out to the Boulder Inn and to see her father's grave and to sneakily give Janice a day off to spend with Bushy and people her own age. <laughs> Quill, you matchmaker. <laughs> it's very crafty. It, it, it is, is, actually. And very, like you said, very subtle. Very subtle. So then after breakfast, Quill goes home and he's pondering with Coco about a terrible thought. Could Dick have been responsible for the bird napping? He then quotes Shakespeare um, (laughs) that one can smile and smile and be a villain. And clearly we are back in family treachery territory because Lillian Jackson Braun is now quoting Hamlet again. This is usually her sign that Uh, something is going wrong with the family. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's been her thing when they were actually doing Hamlet. Yeah. Well, I don't think they ever... No, they never did Hamlet. But we've had a lot of Hamlet quotations. No, it was Macbeth they did. Yes. That's what I was getting confused. They did Macbeth. It was one of the big Shakespeare plays. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, when Melinda was supposed to play Lady M and then ends up uh, wrapping her car around uh, around a statue on opening night. Mm-hmm. And they had to send in the understudy, but thankfully they sold out because her entire family, all cousins, <laughs> everybody, came to see her perform as Lady M. It was very exactly. sweet. Exactly. Yeah, it was very sweet. Um, and she had the most normal name out of any character yes, in Jennifer this. Yes, Jennifer... 
it was Davis or Hudson. It was like just like that's a very simple name by Moose County standards. Yes, yeah. compared to the rest of these people. I know Thelma <laughs> Thackeray and yes, and Bushy. Bushy. good Bushy. and Thir- and and Thornton Haggis. Thornton, my favorite, Thornton my Haggis. My favorite name. My my favorite. There's still oh, there's my favorite. He was in the first three books when they were in the big city. His yes, name is Odd, Odd Bunsen. Odd Bunsen. Odd Bunsen. He was a photographer friend of Quills, and he's never shown up since. And I. I, I miss him. Nice. <laughs> With his odd. six kids. I know. I, I was thrilled uh, to run into Ronald Frobnitz again in yes. this book. <laughs> yes. My favorite name. Frobnitz. Yes, I love a Ronald Frobnitz moment. Oh, yes. Um, so after all of this, Quill goes to the something where he drops off his latest column. He and Junior chat about Mavis Adams, who Junior describes as a good interview, but she doesn't look like an attorney. Quill almost gets the right response, except that he asks what a woman attorney should look like, and then proceeds to rib Junior about the fact that he's still mistaken for a high school senior despite having two kids and managing the paper for almost ten years now. <laughs> um, speaking of familiar faces, we've now seen Junior. We, uh, we get a run-in with Jeffa Young from a couple of books ago, who is now McWannell, um, because Moose County is like haven for widows who want to remarry. <laughs> Jeffa moved to, moved to Moose County to, um, to support her son, who was killed in a previous book. Uh-huh. Um, and she's a CPA who started working for Wannell McWannell. Um, another great name. Another great Wannell name. McWannell. Yes. We, we met Wannell McWannell and his wife in The Cat Who Wasn't There when they all went to Scotland. Uh-huh. Um, and his wife was just a very ill, unhappy woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently they finally let her die. Um, so now he's married to Jeffa and it's a... Uh, Jeffa it, McWannell. It, yes, she's now Jeffa Young McWannell. Um <laughs> And oh, wow. we get a nice little update on their lives. And then Quill comes home to find Kogo sitting on a book by Winston Churchill. Not that Winston Churchill, but an American author who wrote a novel called Richard Carvel about the Revolutionary War. But just happens to also be called Winston Churchill. Yes. Um, and of course. you well, of have course. to start wondering, is he trying to say something about Richard Dick Thackeray? Um, of course he is. Duh. Quill goes to dinner at Polly's. They talk about the ad and the something for Thelma's Film Club. Quill thinks it'll be good for the downtown restaurant since it will get people out for the evening. Um, Polly mentions running into friend Brody at the hairdresser, which my times have changed, um, because Lord knows the two of them would not have crossed uh, paths in the early books. Mm-hmm. Um, Fran has apparently uh, mentioned that Thelma has retired all of her jeweled brooches and bracelets in favor of more restrained accessories. Um, mm. Retired? Or ransomed? Uh-huh. Um, did she use them to pay off the bird nappers? Who knows? Perhaps. Because they did, they did get the birds back awfully quickly. Exactly. And that, that usually... And they didn't it, go to the police either. They didn't go to the police. And obviously in the middle of the night, you can't go to the bank. No. So oh. the jewelry is, is an easy ransom. But that means that the person who's, at, who's demanding the ransom knew about the jewelry and knew about the birds. Hmm. So very, very sneaky. Um, we have an after-dinner opera of La Traviata. And in the morning, they're both off to Homer's birthday celebration. Who, at 99... <laughs> Homer did not want a cake or a big fuss, so as a compromise, he came down the elevator, met his public briefly, got a nice song from Derek Cuddlebrink with lyrics by Quill, of course, and returned. And then the elevator doors closed, and he went back to his apartment. <laughs> Seeing the Pope on Sunday morning, uh, right? Exactly. <laughs> he, he made an appearance. People kissed the ring, and he left. And he <laughs> left. Bonus said, "I'll see you next week." So after, the, after that fun, Quill picks Thelma up for their dinner, and they talk about the changes to Moose County. She remembers Landspeak's department store fondly, as that's where she would get her Easter hat, um, which she's always loved wearing hats. Quill says it's because she was born to wear a crown. God, he is good at flirting wow. with older ladies. Wow, yeah. I mean, really. That's um, a good line, Quill. Thelma reveals that she was married once for six months, but kicked him out for being a gambler. 
She has no tolerance for male foibles and no patience for people who don't make her life better. Um, before dinner, they stop at the Hilltop Cemetery she, uh, because Quill, of course, found her father's grave. And then they go to dinner at the Boulder Inn, which is the, the inn on the lake, which is made of all the giant boulders. Mm-hmm. Um, Thelmo, it turns out, doesn't drink. So Quill introduces her to his latest Q cocktail, which is squunk water with a slug of cranberry juice. Uh, and they get a special treat after dinner, which is Silas Dingwall, another great name, um, <laughs> who is the owner of the Boulder Inn, tells the story of the inn's creation for Quill's collection, featuring, uh, especially featuring that there are hidden tunnels used by rum runners, uh, which finance the creation of the larger-than-life inn. Hmm. Quill wonders if Thelma will react to the bootlegger part of the story, but she seems to be all in on the low-cow potato chip story. Oh, well. <laughs> That's the hill she's going to die and, on. Well, and... and... I couldn't tell at this point anyway if she knew or would yeah or did she believe the potato chip story you know I kind of have to I, I kind of have to say that that was what her beloved father told her that you know he invented so like it. why wouldn't you believe that so why know? wouldn't you believe that yeah. and she's she's just never looked she doesn't strike me as someone who is hugely intellectually curious mm-hmm. she's, I agree. she's very much a live in the moment kind of kind yeah. of lady so I could easily see her just Believing the story. Yeah, that was what he was told me. That's what I'm. That's what I've lived with. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna change it. Then by Gar, that's that's what's gonna be. There it is. <laughs> After dinner, Quill asks about Thurston. We get a lovely recollection of his and Thelma's childhood. Thelma reveals that quote unquote Dicky Bird isn't half the man his father was, and she's hoping that with her guidance he can gain a sense of pride and responsibility, which is why he'll manage the film club, but she will supervise and including the selection of the films to be shown. While Quill thinks the sentiment is admirable, he wonders if that nickname might warp a child for life. Dicky Bird? Dicky Bird. Oh. Which, by the way, is not only what Thelma calls Dick, that's what his father and mother called him. Oh, Dicky Bird. Oh, God. So, he's Dicky Bird, and then uh, Quill is Ducky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you have Ducky and Dicky Bird. Yeah. It's a very avian-themed book. A play in two acts. Play in two (laughs) acts. Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick star. Yep. I'd watch that. And then the next day, Quill goes to lunch with our favorite, Joe Bunker, a.k.a. Weatherby Good. Mm -hmm. And they are discussing a new project, which is Cool Coco's Almanac. Because Quill is getting sick of reading poor Richard's Almanac. Yet another Richard. Come on, Quill. Um, (laughs) And with this, we're getting an update on Indian Village, because now apparently the K-Fun owns the development after uh, Mm. XYZ and uh, Don Exbridge got arrested Final, got finally got for arrested. Rare, rampant corruption, yes. For rampant corruption there. Um, sound well, was, was that the Breakfast Island corruption? Yes. Or, yes. Well, it, yes. it wasn't for that. Um, but oh, gotcha. it turned out... Okay, to, to do a brief recap. Yes. Um, Don Exbridge broke with his former partners at XYZ, so he created his own thing at Don X, and then went on to try and kill his former partners. <laughs> he successfully killed one of them. The other one had to send somebody back to talk to the lawyers to get... Uh, Exbridge arrested for corruption. Like refused to meet with them because he would get killed. Yeah, so he wow. left. He left town. Okay, um, mm-hmm. that's also how we got Jeffy Young in town because her son Casper Young was the one who died. Um, such fun. And now she's Jeffa. She's <laughs> Jeff McQuaid. Um, so soundproofing is being added to the walls. The floors are being supported to prevent bouncing, and the window glass is being replaced with actual safety glass. Um, and it's amazing how much it costs to fix something that should have been done right in the first place. Point. Um, also in the gossip, Amanda Goodwinter has now adopted a cat. Um, and instead of the scraggly Tom that they expected, she adopts an elegant long hair she names Quincy. Aww. It's completely unexpected, Quincy. but people are full of surprises. It's great. That's wonderful. Quincy. 
Um, and the next day, so after all of that catch-up, Quill runs into Janice, who's changing out the exhibit of signed photos at the library, which Thelma had donated. Um, and they head to Lois's luncheonette. Janice then reveals that Dick and Thelma have had another argument. Um, Janice considers Dick ungrateful after how good Thelma has been to him. But apparently Dick wants to hire his friends from Bixby, the Bixby bums, as Quill calls them, uh, for the new film club, while Thelma understandably wants local help. And in other news, Bushy is now going to photograph Thelma's collection of art hats, which are more art than hat. Um, and Quill suggests that they show them to Liz Hart, because her gallery in Mooseville will get a more appreciative clientele, which is a match made in heaven. Everybody's excited. And so huge plans are made for that. The next day, Thornton Haggis visits, bringing news of a found cemetery that contains the graves of the Thackeray family, along with the remains of a wooden church. Quill takes her to see it. There's a brief stop at Toodle's Market for a reunion with Grandma Toodle, who knew Thelma in grade school. And it, it is so sweet. But once again, this completely and utterly negates the fact that nobody remembers the Thackerays. Yeah, that we yes. started in the first book. It's like, everybody remembers the Thackerays. We got this. But wh why would you claim that? Anyway. Um, later they have dinner at the Nutcracker Inn. Turns out that the reason Thelma dislikes cats is because she was jealous of their attention to her brother, who has true animal magnetism, it seems. And she pulled hmm. one of his cat's tails, which then bit her. Ooh. And she's disliked them ever since. Well, that would... I mean, fair that you dislike something that bit you, but, you know, you were jealous of an animal. And grabbing its tail, that's... Just uh, rude. Um, just sound, oh, poor cat. Quill broaches the fact... Broaches uh, asking her about the Kit Kat review being held at the Opera House after all of that. And thankfully, um, Mavis Adams is her lawyer. Everything's sealed. Um, it's a it's a lovely idea, but you know they they were so obsessed with getting the opera house for this. I'm like the K theater's right there. Hmm. What, what, right. Was it just not fancy enough? I don't know if, they, if it was the cachet of it. Oh, it's being remodeled mm. and like that. I just figured that's what. It yeah, was. it's got to be something like that. Yeah, because just the prestige of it all. Yeah, right. because you didn't have to work this hard to get something for for this kind of event. Um, but I guess at this point the the K theater is several years old, so it's you know it's not as as new and fancy. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and with all of this, Thelma also reveals that she's established a trust fund for Janice um, to thank her for years of service, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. Not nice, however, is the continued struggle between Thelma and Dick. He wants to have bingo nights at her high-class club. She's not amused. He also jokes about having stripping because it's a private club. They can do whatever they want. And this, calls, this causes Thelma to tell him that he's either managing the club her way or not at all. And he backs down from his ideas for now, at least. Um, but Quill suspects that Dickie Bird is more of a problem than he's going to be more of a problem than his aunt suspects. Mm -hmm. oh, Dickie Shocker Bird. there. Oh, Dickie Bird. Dickie Bird. I know. Um, Quill helps Bushy photograph Thelma's cats. Um, and when he returns home, Coco goes into the barn and he throws a fit over a gift delivered by Dick. It's a couple of ceramic parrots. They're lovely. Um, more parrots. And Quill finally, finally makes the connection between Coco's fits and all of the Richard based reading selections. <sighs> Um, <laughs> Thelma then delivers her collection of Thurston's letters, and they clearly illustrate a spoiled. Uh, and they clearly illustrate of Dick, a spoiled brat who never had to work and was overly indulged by his parents who couldn't have more children. Um, Quill goes to lunch with Joe, whether to be good again. Turns out that he went to school with Dick, and the memories are not good. Um, and then finally, Quill reads Thurston's final letter to Thelma, who has kept it close. And despite Dick's claims that he didn't go walking with his father along the gorge, Thurston's, Thurston's last letter mentions Dick going into town for hiking shoes. Hmm. So somebody may have well, some... Well, and that he, he, he was going to join him on the hike exactly. and, in fact, was going to get some hiking shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was going to be a, a, a nice father-son mm. sentimental moment. Right. Interesting. Um, hmm. 
And then we're back at the design studio. Fran is wailing because she's about to lose her new assistant because Ms. Holmes is about to marry her Dr. Watson and move to Minneapolis <laughs> so he can work with a better veterinary clinic. Mm. Um, he tells Quill the new owners are cutting too many corners. He can't stomach working with them anymore. Understood. Then Polly is back from a meeting with the K-Fund and mentions a Prokofiev offer she wants to listen to on the barn stereo. It's the gambler. Oh, um, okay. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. And then Quill heads down to Lockmaster to meet with Kit McDermott. We have na- another name we haven't heard in a while. He's he's the uh, publisher of the Lockmaster Ledger paper. Um, and we learn that Dick apparently nearly caused a riot with plans to try and operate a motorbike track on an acreage that he won as a gambling debt. The neighbors were not amused. Dr. Thackeray was heartbroken, and though he although he never believed the story about Dick's gambling. And... Because Dick was um, so quick to sell his father's practice, there are more than a few rumors of patricide floating around down in, down in Lockmaster. And people don't remember this family at all? Yeah. <laughs> I know. And yet everybody's talking about them. And <laughs> Go figure. So next day, Quill, Quill being helpful goes to pick up the infamous Mr. Simmons from the airport, and the two men are immediately best friends. Simmons is also suspicious of Dick, feeling that a grown man shouldn't need to rely on his aunt as much as he does. And it should be mentioned that Simmons, as he likes to be called, has no issues with cats, loves Quill's barn, and he's also being put up in the carriage house apartment, which apparently Barry Morgan has vacated at some point. We've never heard about that. Hmm. Um, Next day, Simmons stops by with something for Quill. It's his silver tray that had been missing since his last cleaning. And he realizes it went missing the same day that Dick delivered a gift. Hmm. Because Thelma found the tray in Dick's lavishly equipped office at the club, saw Quill's name inscribed on it, and took it back so Simmons could return it. Um, it turns out that Simmons is recommending that Thelma secretly tape record her conversations with Dick, much like Quill used to have Celia do. Ooh. They agree there's something fishy with Dick, which has apparently been, he, he had apparently been coming to California to butter up his aunt since his father died. Um, best guess, clearly his gambling funds are drying up too quickly and he's on the hunt for a new source. Hmm. And then finally, we have the opening of Thelma's film club with pomp and circumstance, long dresses, cufflinks. Red carpets. Red carpets, yes. yes. Of course. Of course. Big premiere date, yeah. Yes. And Polly and Quill, <laughs> though members, let their seats be sold to other enthusiastic first-timers. And instead, they enjoy a late dinner at the Grist Mill, chatting with Derek and Liz. But the night brings bad news. Simmons' daughter is in a car crash in California. He mm-hmm. needs to fly home immediately. Quill, of course, takes him to the airport, and they agree that he can't be worrying about Thelma while his young daughter with two kids is hospitalized. Makes sense. Of course. But then Simmons also tells Quill that Thelma has made a new will, leaving everything to Dick. Mm. Quill mentions the bird napping, which Simmons did not know about, and he immediately suspects Dick, um, of course, because it's obviously Dick. And Quill then mentions those patricide rumors floating around down in Lockmaster and suggests that Simmons might have more luck convincing Thelma to change her will back. Hmm. So much for not worrying about her, but well, when you're waiting in a hospital, what you've got to have something else to do. Nope, exactly. And the next day, Bushy stops by with a story. Thelma asked him to do a little snooping at the film club late night showing, since neighbors have been complaining of noise at 3 a.m. This is with all within the first week of this place being open. Um, noise at 3 a.m., not what you'd expect from a classic film, sto- film showing. And he discovers that after the late night show, about half the audience goes backstage for slot machines, porn films with heavy drinking. Oh, my. Most of the cars have Bixby, have Bixby County tags. So <laughs> Damn Bixby. Those Bixby bums. Those Bixby bums. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> Dick is not being very subtle about this. Oh, and when the and when the uh, when when the the porn films are mentioned, he says he says it's the real sick stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I was like, what would that be for these people? Like, I know. What would you define that as? <laughs> I mean, it was deep throat sick. I mean, that's. <laughs> 
anything. What is the tame stuff? What is that? I know. Is, is that the stuff you'd see on Skinamax when you, you know? What's the what's the? T- I don't know. Missionary through a sheet, a hole in a sheet. I don't Ooh. know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that took a turn. Um, so with this reveal, um, the next day, um, the next day, Thelma and uh, Janice are packing, have packed up the art hats for the trip to Mooseville, and Quill drives Thelma in his car behind Dick, who is driving a van with Janice and the hats. Dick gets impatient with a tractor trailer, tries to swerve around, lands the van and the hats in a water-filled drainage ditch. Mm-hmm. Thelma is furious, as she should be. Right. Fortunately, no one is seriously injured, but the hats are completely ruined. Oh, Fortunately, no. they've been photographed, but... Still... He just ruined her hats because he couldn't bother to wait for a tractor trailer. This collection, and, you know, this amazing collection of hats. My favorite part of this mm-hmm. whole thing is that when it's announced in the newspaper, it is announced that the hats have drowned. Yes. Oh, no. They have enough personality to have drowned. They had enough personality oh, that they were no. the Easter human-like, hats. I guess. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, and the order of her fury is that fool, the, my hat, Janice. Janice. <laughs> Almost as if she just remembered Janice was also in the car. car. (laughs) But again, no major injuries. Everyone's okay, uh, except for the hats. And things don't get a lot better. A few days later, people are cited for stripping in the film club parking lot after the lake show. And then, to cap everything off, Dick is shot during a supposed burglary. This, wow, things escalated. At the the film club. At the film club, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's why they assumed it was a burglary. Coco didn't howl or do anything, so Quill is totally taken by surprise by this death. Um, my theory, then, it must mean that Dick got his due instead of foul play. Dick got his due. Dick got his due. Dickie Bird. Dickie Bird. Bird. <laughs> yes. The Dickie Bird won't fly anymore. Quill resists the urge to say good riddance, um, and instead <laughs> suggests that Janice take Thelma out on Bushy's boat for a relaxing afternoon. But the next day, Thelma dies peacefully in her sleep. Hmm. Janice visits Quill and reveals that Thelma had chronic pancreatitis, which is why she avoided alcohol. But the night that she died, Janice saw her with a bottle of bourbon that they'd bought for Simmons. Oh, no. And then Janice reveals that Thelma went to the club late one night to confront Dick. She comes out smiling with her handbag stuffed. And after she died, Janice found the handbag stuffed full of money and Simmons' recorder full of the event. (gasps) So the final reveal is this. Turns out, Thelma realized that Dick was not only using the club for nefarious purposes, he was stealing from the club, which she was not going to tolerate. Mm. And she tried to fire him, especially since she realized that he was behind the birdnapping as well, and got her jewelry in the ransom, confirming all of that. And she also says that since it's very likely that he pushed his father over the cliff, she doesn't want anything to do it, pushed his father over the cliffs and then hid his muddy new hiking boots when he got back. And at this point, she tells him that she's changing her will, and when Dick threatens to kill her before she can do it, she shoots him instead, saying he'll never live to inherit. At this point, Janice is like, what should I do? Quill says, turn everything over to Mavis Adams and step back. And, and don't even tell people you were here no, talking any, to me. Don't tell anybody anything. Give it to don't Mavis and go. want to be tied go. back to this. Right. No. Jeez. But there is good news. The new will was finished ahead of time, ahead of this, leaving everything to reestablish the Thackeray Clinic as a memorial to Thurston, Without the influence of the of the Winnie Hill people, Good. Um, and with that, the curtain falls, and we didn't even have to listen to Prokofiev. Uh. <laughs> the Gambler's not my favorite of his operas. What can I say? Uh, well, well, who doesn't like it? Who does like it? <laughs> <Come on. laughs> this wow, this one was a bit of a wild one. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a bit all over the place. I have to yeah, say, it is. Yeah. The pacing, the pacing is weird. The mystery is good, even though it's one of the ones that. She's clearly pointing the fingers right, right pretty, from the pretty start. Pretty quickly, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's 
it's more in the style of some of her earlier books where she, you know, you wait, you don't know what's going on until the very last page. Mm-hmm. And then finally all the story comes out at once. Yeah. Um, hmm. that's and, I, and there are parts of that that I really, really like. Um, but, the, you know, for me, the fact that we had to talk about Thelma for like 100 pages before we, like, <laughs> before anything happened. We just even seeing her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, somebody gets a haircut. We have to hear about that. And, you know, <laughs> although I will say the whole Barbara's Pole discussion, which yes. I did not know, was very fascinating and disturbing. <laughs> uh, there's a conversation about the colors of a barber pole. Mm-hmm. Um, red, white, and blue. Red for blood, white for bandages, and blue for, for veins. For veins. Oh, God. And that's why Barbara... they also used to be... Barbers were also bloodletters. Bloodletters and surgeons. And surgeons. Back in oh, the day. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. So the barber pole wouldn't let people know that the, basically the services they could get. They can yeah. get. So that's why... Okay. That explains why some are just yeah. maybe red or some are just... Uh, red and like, white. Some, red and white. Some have the blue. And oh. I also enjoyed that it was uh, Bob's Barber Shop run by Old Bob and Young Bob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Old, Bob Old Bob's young... a little bit slow, but uh, but young Bob uh, sprained his thumb. That's right, and he was yeah, he was really slow. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Um, there's a couple of side stories that I didn't get mentioned. Um, one that I thought was fun was um, Mildred's family history, uh, owning the land on which the wild blueberries grew before Mildred's oh. generation sold the land to the Tootles family. Right. Um, and apparently, Grandma Tootles showed her a spot in the parking lot that always buckles, no matter how much asphalt they put down. And it's a blueberry plant, which proves what Mildred's father used to say, which is wild blueberries can't be cultivated, but they can't be killed either. That's right. You can't keep those blueberries down. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, That's that's good. And I do have a moment that is proof that Hixie is either cursed or technology is siding with Quill. I couldn't decide which. Um, So Quill writes a column with nine popular-ish sayings, um, and... There, he, he says, what are the, th- the most popular one is, what are the three comforts of old age? Um, so asking people to complete these, these somewhat oh, famous or, or, sayings. Oh, right, in the paper. Oh, in the, the paper. And, paper. Hicks, and he's like, I'll reveal the answers next week. And mm-hmm. Hixie's like, no, no, that's not soon enough. So she convinces Junior to hide the answers in another part of the paper. It's set up to run on the business page, and they disappear. So it doesn't get printed in the paper. Oh, so no. Hicks even has to do a recorded message to reveal them. Um, and once again, there's always something at the something. That's right. <laughs> and the library is bombarded yes. with the calls library is bombarded to find as well, out what the, to know the answer. but, but, the answers but Polly are. was smart. She handed the, uh, the clerk's copies of Bartlett, Bartlett said, look it up and read them out. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> so speaking of Polly, we, we oh, get a little bit of her in this book, but not a lot until the very mm-hmm. end where she kind of has a crisis of uh, a, a, a career crisis. Um, yes. Since her friend Shirley is now quitting the library in Lockmaster to run a bookstore, Polly's getting frustrated managing the library that she says is more about videos than books. Um, oh, Quill, kicking ever, and screaming, yes. kicking and screaming. Quill, ever the problem solver, <laughs> suggests, "Well, what if the K Fund opened a bookstore? Would you run it?" It's an enthusiastic yes. Plans go into the work, which is why she was down visiting with the K Fund, uh, and it's agreed that it will be on the site of Eddington Smith's old shop, hmm. which I think is a nice touch. It is. Uh, it is a nice touch, and the bookstore will have readings and book clubs and uh, all manner of literary events. Wonderful. But no gift cards and no and, and no silly gifts. No gift card, no food. No food. <laughs> <laughs> Very anti-Barnes and Noble. Which, by the way, they, they completely back off on the no food thing by the, by the time the book comes. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. They, they give up on the food, but they do, but they do not give up on... Uh, they, they, they stick to their guns on no gifts and, and gift cards and things like that. It's mm, only about the books. I got you. Mm. But on the other hand... I like a cup of tea when I'm browsing for books. I, well, yeah. 
That was the, the, the consistent seller. When I was working at Barnes & Noble, the uh, the cafe often did better business than some departments. Frequently, so. yes. <laughs> Um, mm. With cats in this particular book, there's a lo- there's a silly moment where Polly fl- f- further solidifies Brutus and Cata as ordinary, quote unquote, when she tells Quill about a timed feeder that she's purchased. Um, <laughs> Quill declines when she offers to help him order one for Coco and Yum Yum, saying that they prefer to know the hand that feeds them. Um, oh, we have to talk about. And we've got to talk the, about the, the Kit Kat review. The Kit Kat review. Yes. Uh-huh. And the dish and the the food dishes. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> okay, so the Kit Kat review features. Um, Lots of, as they're planning this, there are lots of mentions of the musical Cats, which I love. Most people hate Disparage, but it was nice to see my favorite musical uh, get some love. I know, I know, I know, I know. It, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're, that is legit your favorite? It is my sentimental favorite. Okay, because you this is the... F- this is the first I've heard you saying it's a favorite. So you've got, you have several favorites then. You have, I have a sentimental I have favorite. Many, I have sentimental favorite. Maybe I have one does, I think. I have an aesthetic yes, favorite. Yeah. Um, I've got the one with the music I love to sing the most. All of sure. those things. Of course. I just, when you mentioned it, it was your favorite. It was like, well, hold on a second. This is, uh, it, it not is, that it's a bad thing. But it is definitely. It is a bad thing. <laughs> My favorite cat story is always going to be we were sitting at a, at a dinner. It was the three of us with another friend, and the movie had just come out. You started spouting out the lyrics to it, and it was something about Munkle Strap, the railway cat, and you just said, God, this is a stupid musical. <laughs> Without it, with this, it was, Neil Simon couldn't have done it better. I, well, and I, I only saw it once at the, that was touring at the Denver Center, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I was like, oh my God, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> Please don't make me watch this ever again. It's fine. Uh, so, see, the difference is that I have a long sentimental family history with this. And, I, and I have no, I have no yeah. connection to this musical. No, at of all. course not. And, and I think without the without the connection, I would probably still like Memory, and I still like a couple other songs. Sure. But as a whole, memory, and Memory is a beautiful memory song. Is a beautiful no, song. no question. And no, and your story is a very sweet one, especially. Yeah. So it's yes. a yeah. Yes. I, have, you, have you shared this with, with this one with Bernie? I, I think I did at one point. Is it a long story? Not particularly. Okay. Um, so when my parents got married, they uh, had a friend who worked in a bar on Broadway. And Andrew Lloyd Webber would come into the bar occasionally um, because they, because Phantom was playing. Oh, sure. And he, he mentioned to them that my parents were going to London for their honeymoon. And Andrew Lloyd Webber came in the next night, handed him something for my parents. Turns out it was a letter giving them uh, access to his tickets any night they'd like. While they were in London, what? So they got his personal seats for Andrew for for Cats in the original theater in London. That's amazing. Um, the hilarious thing is that they didn't think to keep the letter, not even a copy. They gave it. To, they gave it to the woman at the box office who asked to keep just, it, um, and they said, "Yeah, sure." Sure. Didn't think about it. Um, so <laughs> you keep the letter. We're gonna see the show. <laughs> we're gonna see the show. There you go. Um, but then when my parents took. Um, my sister and I to London when I was in about third grade, so my sister would have been kindergarten age. Um, that was the first big show that I got taken to see oh, in the fun. original sure. in the original theater. Um, yep. Not quite as good as Andrew Lloyd Webber's personal seats, but still very nice. Well, yes. Um, but so so I have a lot of sentimental connection yeah, to that absolutely. show. Absolutely, and that's why it's yeah. a sentimental favorite. So, anyway. what is another one of your favorites? Just so I can wash oh, the taste gosh. of that out of my mouth. Oh, come from a, come from away has been my ah. my most favorite ah. in the recent yes. years. Oh my god, yes. it's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. such a gorgeous show. So beautiful. That's, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Then, yeah, the, the the list goes the list goes yeah, on yeah. and on. Um, but that one is a big one. Um, strangely enough, kiss uh, kiss me, Kate, and. Um, hmm. uh, she loves and me is up there too. She loves me is definitely up there. Annie, get your gun. 
Really? Um, oh, interesting. One of my okay. favorites that I've ever seen. That was one that I sat out. That, that I you've sat. Never seen. Uh, that I have. That, that I've ever seen. Oh, that you've ever seen. Okay, yes. Um, sat in line to get tickets to see Bernadette Peters do it. Oh, okay. Uh, stunning production. Yeah. I loved all of the additions that they did. It was yeah. really. It was really cute to the show. Nice. So anyway, fun things with it. Moving on, back to the Kit Kat review. Yes. So Hixie proposes this idea that for the finale of the review should be a procession of local celebrities and their cats, culminating, of course, in Quill and Coco. It is a huge hit. Derek is singing Quill's latest song. Bushy has photos of various kittens. Um, and all of the celebrities were given herbal sedatives to put on their cat's food before bringing them to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, Quill uh, gives, as far as he knows, gives the herbal sedative to Coco. Um, but Coco knew something was off. So he ate Yum Yum's dinner, meaning she got the sedative. <laughs> oh, no. And Coco caused absolute and utter chaos of for course. the finale. And Remember they come on, they came on, they're on last. Yes. Lights hit them. Coco looks at it and goes, fuck this. He goes flying. He's on the tables. And da, 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 oh, the, it's hilarious. The first line. But Yum Yum's just passed out. Yum Yum's, ja- Yum Yum's happily at home, completely passed out. <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, that is funny. That is funny. Oh, goodness. So speaking of cats, uh, well, first of all, any thoughts for you, Bernie, that we did not cut or anything that you had? You know, had? I just, you know, as I'm reading, I just write down, like, phrases there or just things that pop out, that stand out to me. Uh, I, I, I did not remember Squunkwater. Like, maybe it was referenced in the, in the last mm-hmm. one that we did. But I was like, I, what is that? I, do we know what it is? Yes. Oh. Um, it is a local mineral water uh, that Quill discovers okay. fairly early on in the series. We wouldn't have seen it in The Cat Who Came to Breakfast because okay. we were on the island. Oh, okay. Um, so they wouldn't have had squunk water right. as accessible. Yeah, so that's It's definitely a moose county thing. Uh, when, the, when, the, when the murder happens mm-hmm. in the, the moving vans or the, the, the yeah. parcel vans, um, they were moving the big boxes. Mm-hmm. And it was a, at that time, it was assumed that there had been a robbery at a television store. Mm-hmm. A television store. I was store. like, oh, a television store? Well, and if you remember, <laughs> the, um, the opera house originally was storage yes. for a, an appliance yes. uh, store. Wow. Uh, then I wrote down the return of Ronald Frobnitz, which yes. I loved. A very brief one, but he, he leaves a message for, for Celia yes. signing it off, Ronald Frobnitz. Um, Just in case you forget. Uh, oh, the return of my favorite word from the last book, propinquity. Indeed. Yes. Uh, and a mention of Grand Island. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Yes, because the people were coming to see the hat exhibit, I think, mm-hmm. is what it was. Yes, and that's where Mooseville gets to gets to have the fancy clientele because now it's it's very officially Grand Island. There's the Grand Island people, and then right. nobody else goes there. Right. It's a it's a it's a wildlife preserve, and people are left alone, and it's kind of nice. Uh, and then I just had a few thoughts on the on the on the thing overall. I said the journey is a good one, but where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> and then I said fits and starts because I feel like we start a, a, a storyline mm-hmm. and then we abandon it. We take a right turn and we head towards the storyline. And I'm like, well, this this whole thing could have been its own book over here. Exactly. And mm-hmm. this whole thing could have been its own book over here. Yeah. And I feel like she was like, I was like, what story is she trying to tell here? Somehow we got um, bits and pieces. Yeah. And then of you get, books. you know, and then you come back to that first storyline with just something completely anticlimactic, like the whole, yeah. what's going to be in the, what's going to be in the building? Oh, it's a film club. Oh, it's a, oh, oh, it's a film club. Film club. No, there's nothing. There, there was like nothing shady about it, or like it, there was just all the suspicion with no result. You know, yeah. no fanfare, no, no pomp interesting and circumstance. Result. Interesting. Um, but again. As I said, the journey is a good one. Like yeah. it's still, it, again, it was still fun to meet the people and 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 yeah. hear all the, the the goings on, the the gossip in the town, and yeah, it's a know, nice visit. It's a nice 
It's a it's a pleasant visit. Yes. Uh, and then I said, a murder ten pages from the end. Really? <laughs> we couldn't have gotten there sooner. Um, and then I did, I also wasn't I wasn't crazy about the fact that he did. It takes him so long to realize the cats are helping him. Yeah. When this, that's all they that's do in these what, books. Yeah, that's what Coco does best. <laughs> yeah, and and to not make these very obvious, Richard. You know, sometimes sometimes Coco's clues are a bit. Oblique, or, or, or a maybe. bit oblique mm-hmm. and yes, a little bit hard right? to follow. Yes. This one is not. This is very clear. Richard, 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 He's, Richard. He is bonking right you on the head several times here, and Andrew's you're not, not getting, getting it. it. Not getting it. Uh, and then I just, I just, I'd love the whole, the whole idea of Coco switching the food dishes. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't like move them, but like. No, he, he just know, shoved, shoved Yum Yum out of the yum way. Yum he makes Yum his own food because he, he knows something is up. He's, yes. Suspicious Coco is suspicious. And, and on the other hand, it meant Yum Yum got a bigger dinner for a change. And yeah. Because mm-hmm. we, yeah, Yum Yum doesn't get a whole lot of love. If you like, sometimes. <laughs> well, she gets she gets a lot of love, but it's not it, it's not very interesting to the plot. No, there are true. whole scenes where Quill talks about how lovely it is to sit, have Yum Yum on his lap while he reads a book or writes something, and he pets her, and it's very you know it's it's a very sweet relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's not that interesting. But Coco's the star. Coco's the star. It is. Well, it's like you when know. we talked about the, with your mother saying that she likes Yum Yum best because Yum Yum's the cuddler. Yes. So. Right, but Coco, as you say, Coco's, Coco's the, star. the star. Coco's the star, and yeah. God, I so want uh, an A and E series of these books. <laughs> who? This is a question we've had before, and I'm yeah. curious: who would you cast modern day to play Quillerin? Well, I, you know, I don't know about Quillerin, about um, modern day, but the person I can show you the person that I always think of uh, when I'm like picturing him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I gotta find it. Because we have someone in mind ourselves, since uh, Nick Offerman has already made famous playing Ron Swanson, mm-hmm. he would be a good runner-up. But yeah, but would he be taken seriously? I guess. Who did we think of? Because this has been a while since we've discussed. We this. picked. Uh, he would need to have a good mustache for it, and let me actually uh, see if he does have one. Just doing a quick Google search for it. He has a fantastic beard, but. Carlton Lasseter himself, Timothy Oatman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the early days. For the um, early days, like nowadays, for uh, someone being in, the, you know, for being sixties, it might be a bit different. But I, I mean, if we're going for sixties, William H Macy. William H Macy would be interesting because he's got a he grows a great mustache. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, so we're all looking at various pictures. So look, I'm sorry, but look at that. Who is that? That's Timothy Oedmanson still. Okay, remember I took my glasses off, I couldn't see. Which one? Who is this now? Uh, Timothy Oedmanson. Have you ever seen Psych? No. He's delightful. What is Psych? Psych uh, is a TV show about um, two uh, about two best friends, one of whom claims to have psychic abilities. He's just hyper-observative, observant. Because his uh, dad was a former police officer and mm-hmm. taught him all the tricks of what to look for. So it's a very funny show, but it's also got... It but they're guest star games. On the uh, on oh, our. is fantastic. Uh, Corbin Burnson's plays the father from L.A. Law. Oh, it's a it's a it's yeah. a very fun show. I think yeah, you would enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, uh, du- and also, uh, Dulé Hill is uh, one of the friends. Oh, I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And the and, and the lead is played by James Roday. Oh, interesting. How many times is this? Three, but there's definitely right there. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I can't find a picture of him, but if you look for Dr. Joyce Brothers' husband. Ah. Dr. Milton Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Milton Brothers. I can't find it. I couldn't find a picture of him, but 
to me, well, in the at least in the seventies, late seventies, mm-hmm. he had this huge mustache. Oh, interesting. And he was a tall man. Mm-hmm. And uh, a very oh, he's got a very kind of yeah world weary look about him. I'm I'm trying to find one with a mustache. And the thing was just, it was, you know, huge. <laughs> Which is, again, why I think William H. Macy. Yeah, I could totally see, yes, I could definitely see William H. Macy, for sure. But I can see, yeah, I'm trying to just look for him now, just Dr. Milton Brothers' mustache, because now if you just do a Google search for that, you get all sorts of people who are not him. But Groucho, have <laughs> Groucho Mark shows up, and there's, for some reason, there's Monty Woolley, but that's that's very odd. But I uh, let me pull up a picture of him to show you, Susan, because, yeah, okay. he... Definitely. So here's him with uh, Dr. Joyce. Yep. But I yeah, can... I can see that. Yeah, so just imagine a large mustache on yeah. him. It was, it's a great... Yeah, he's got the upper lip for it. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Mm-hmm. And he's an intellectual, and he's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's just that's just in my, that's the picture in my head when I'm reading about Quill. Yeah. 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 All right, so how many how many paws do you think you'd give this book out of four? Uh, out of four. how many? Sorry? Cats have four paws. That's our... Cats have four paws. Yes. Um, oh, I'm. I don't know. I, I, and I, I was thinking about this, but I'm stuck between two and a half and three. Yeah. So it's that's... almost like two and three quarters, maybe. Because yeah. um, you know, again, I enjoyed the journey, but I was also like, I was a little let down overall because I was like, oh, there, there were so many, there were opportunities missed with this. Very much so. Um, and again, I don't need. I don't need an action movie in a book, <laughs> but some action wouldn't hurt. Yes. Um, Something so that way, as you say, we're not just discussing, oh, who had a haircut? Who had a haircut? Yes. And the one thing I kind <laughs> Miss of... Miss Marple makes a sandwich. The one, thing that, the one thing that I kind of felt that we were missing, because I, I, I ended up giving it three, because I really... Perot goes to grocery I, I, store. As, as odd as it was, I mean, it got there. It, no, it, it definitely got there. And did. again, I loved all the, I love all these characters. Yeah. Like, I love hearing about them. And but I guess what I was what I was really missing was a confession from Dick before he died about right. yes, yes, I did it. I killed my father. Yeah, and the and the the tape recording of the last conversation. Yeah. you know, you'll never live to it. It was very soap opera. Oh yeah. And oh, I was like, no. oh, this could have been handled much better. Um, uh, but if I'm reading, if I'm going to read a mystery, I would like more mystery. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Just... It is definitely a little light on the mystery. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an extremely cozy mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cozy in a few different ways. Yeah, you, yes. you can you can do your knitting while reading this book or something, and, and, and it, that's what it feels like to me. It feels very odd too that the, the thing that I can't get get over is because everyone talks about how I went to school with the with one of the, with one of the Thackerays, or I did mm-hmm. this, and it's very well. If you say that no one remembers them, why does everybody remember them? Exactly. That's, yeah, that was that was funny to me. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was just a very And it didn't odd... take long to find out about them. Like, no, were, not at all. We didn't have to do a lot of digging or discover the secrets and, of the Thackerays. And... Yeah, and, and, you know, granted, I, I understand if Thornton Haggis and Homer Tibbet were the only ones who remembered Milo the Potato Farmer, I could kind of get that as nobody remembers a Thackeray. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you start bringing in Grandma Toodle and all of these things, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Grandma Toodle would have told everybody about the fact that yes, she went to elementary sure. school with Thelma Thackeray. Right. <laughs> Can't forget a name like that. No. Yeah. And Thackeray Snackery. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I mean, come on. How, would you, how would you miss the fact that half the people in Moose County take their animals 
To the Thackeray Clinic. Yes. Thackeray. <laughs> he, he's not doing anything fancy. It's not Thurston's Animal Clinic. Right. It's the, the Thackeray Clinic. Yeah, that's why it was also strange to me that everyone was checking out the William Makepeace Thackeray books yes. because they thought it was... Oh, that I thought was funny. It, no, it was very funny, yeah. but it again, it was like, nobody's heard of the Thackerays. Everyone's heard of the Thackerays. Where, <laughs> where, where are, are we? Where, what's going on? How many paws do cats have? <laughs> <laughs> So wow. I, I did go and, and look at a couple of reviews because sometimes the reviews for these books can be hysterical. Oh, is that right? Um, this one, at this point, they're not even trying. They're like, fans of the series will like it. Oh, is that right? <laughs> it's literally all they said. <laughs> they give a brief description. Enough said. Yeah, it's like, it's not, a, it's not, another one said, it's not unpleasant and it's on theme for the series. It's not unpleasant. <laughs> and it is certainly not that. I didn't vomit. <laughs> Unlike with that mac and cheese recipe, um, <laughs> that mac and cheese recipe was terrible. Uh, so, it had, did you say that it had an entire can of tomato soup in it? No, I did not tell Bernie about the tomato soup that was in it. Tomato soup, and as opposed to like breadcrumbs, saltine crackers on top. So, tomato soup, saltine crackers combined with mac and cheese. Yeah, combined. Yeah, not a lot of cheese, not a lot of dairy. Oh. It was very strange. It was more like a casserole, but it had and no seasoning. What was the what was the consistency of it? What was the was it a soup it, or was no, it like a? It was it, it was mac and it. it was mac and cheese consistency, but it was not mac and cheese flavor. No, because there was no seasoning in it. Nothing. Mm. Not no even salt. salt. Not, like I guess they figured that there was going to be that's enough salt Midwest. in it the was soup. Awful. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's very right. true. Very, <laughs> very much a rule. But Minnesota I still, you know, but. Dish. So the little bonus episode had a, had a, had a sidetrack about justice for Celia because I can't, because the one thing I would feel is that a Midwest woman who is now running a catering company right. would have actually put cheese in it. Yeah, I mean yes. I could see the cheese in combination, especially from the Midwest. Yeah, I, I could see cheese. <laughs> oh God, yes. I could see cheese and milk being in combination with the tomato soup for a particular flavor. Totally can understand that. Yeah, um, I mean but, grilled cheese and tomato soup. Yeah, that's that's a classic. Delicious. Yeah, it's a classic. But. The rest of that recipe needs to die in a fire. Um, it was not good at all. No. It was not good at all. No, no. The lemon bars, however, yes. just another rehash for that, but the lemon bars that were in the book cookbook were phenomenal. I do love a good lemon bar. Well, good, good to, know. to know. Yes. Ooh. I love lemon. I put lemon pepper on many, many things. Oh, lemon pepper. Oh, interesting. I lemon, love it. Lemon pepper on chicken wings is delicious. Mm-hmm. I don't eat chicken wings. Okay. Lemon pepper. Because pe- you have to pick them up with your hands. <laughs> what about, well, lemon pepper chicken breast? Oh, I do that all the time. And there lemon pepper on salmon? Mm-hmm. Or mm. lemon pepper on a salad? Ooh, yeah. Either way, if I make the lemon bars again, which I definitely will, I will save you a few. Don't put the lemon pepper on the lemon bars. I won't. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that, with that, I think that's what an a excellent great segue. It's <laughs> a great thank you, Bernie. But honestly, yes, thank you very much for joining oh, us. Oh, God, are you here. kidding? This yes. is so much fun. It's always a delight. Always, oh, yeah, this is a, this is a hoot. And thank you for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with our special guest today, Bernie Cardell. Um, join us next time for The Cat Who Talked Turkey. Oh, okay. I, it's I wrote turkey the wrong lurky one. time. It's turkey lurky time. I wrote the wrong one on, on my notes. But it is, the cat. in fact, The Cat Who Talked Turkey is the next one. Do we see a turkey in this one? Find out. <laughs> I can confirm. Turkeys do make an appearance. Oh, anyway, I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry. I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends. Bernie, do you have a stinger? Uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs>